Hi, and welcome to the Star Wars Lads podcast. I'm here with the other lads, Sanuk and Liam. And today we are going to be talking about um, three The High Republic pieces uh, that we recently read. Um, Into the Dark, Collision Course, and Tomb in Space. Um, following our ratings of our top five Star Wars lightsaber duels, um, our rankings. So, yeah. Um, so starting off with Into the Dark, um, Liam, you read this piece. What, what were your thoughts about it? Yeah, I really enjoyed the book. It's Claudia Gray, so it's going to be very good. Um, I, I really enjoyed how this book is very compact. Story all takes place in one main location. It's called the Amaxine. It's an Amaxine station. And there is similar to a test of courage. It, it follows a lot of, uh, characters or it's more character specific, I, I should say, uh, versus light of the Jedi, which is more broad and features a ton of characters and set it up the whole world. This is very character focused. It still has more characters than a test of courage does. So if you're looking for something that might be a little bit of a step up reader level wise versus a test of courage, it may be not as huge and bombastic as light of the Jedi. This is the perfect book for you. This is a young adult book, um, but it doesn't really have the typical young adult type stuff. It's not about romance or anything like that. It's about Jedi going to the station with a group of, of smuggler type people, the bind guild led by a Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> a captain named Leox Jossie and his uh, assistant, Affy Hollow. It features the Jedi Wraith Silas, uh, Master Comac, Orla, what's her name? Orla Jereni, and Des Ryden. And they go to the, they experience the great disaster and get forced onto the station. And it's kind of a place of darkness and it's very mysterious. And they, they're trying to figure out what's happening. I would highly recommend this book. It's not, I would say it's not my favorite Claudia Gray book, by any means, but it is. Very good. And I, I think if you're interested in the High Republic era, you're wanting to consume everything High Republic right now, this is definitely a must read. It ends off the first wave of books before the summer books that we'll get. I think it's a great conclusion. It, it, it left me on the edge of my seat waiting to see what happens this summer. And, and overall, yeah, I think I just I would really recommend this book for anybody who is, is even even if you didn't read the other stuff, it's it's a good starting out point. It, it helps to have read the other stuff because you'll know some of the characters, but our main characters have not been featured in any of the other books. So if you're just getting into it, want to jump jump on something new, this is a great starting point. Yeah, I want to second all those things. Um, unlike Liam, I didn't get a chance to fully finish the book in time for a recording. But uh, again, like anything from Claudia Gray, into the Dark is a supreme Star Wars novel. Um, I will say that as opposed to her other works where she's kind of been tasked with adapting characters into different stories, um, you know, filling in their background, things that have happened to change them into the, you know, versions that we see in film and in the TV shows. Uh, the High Republic, obviously, we're not most likely going to see these characters ever in anything as big as a live action show, which would be cool. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think that's what the 
main purpose behind the publishing initiative is, but uh, these are all fully original characters. And while I found them all really, really interesting and it was a great story to read, it, it did feel like the thing that I was missing the most from her book is that extra step that she takes of like understanding of the characters, like the things that you all sort of kind of knew based on seeing them on screen, but that didn't necessarily get full confirmation of, or like things like in Master and Apprentice, where the tension of Obi-Wan and Anakin's, that's not, sorry, uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon's relationship as Master and Apprentice, um, bloodlines with why Leia is the leader of the resistance as opposed to being a member of the New Republic. Um, and then I haven't read Princess of Alderaan, but again, that's another Leia book. And the way she writes Leia, I don't think anyone has ever written Leia that way before. Um, obviously, Lost Stars, she had the benefit of it being, you know, like a smaller romantic story set amongst the Galactic Empire's war with the Rebel Alliance, with, you know, scenes and events from movies that we've seen. But the High Republic... Uh, is just starting so there's also some of that limitation as well and the nile aren't as big of a force in this book as they are in test of courage and uh, uh test of courage and the light of the jedi which i found a little surprising but i think it works pretty well story-wise it's definitely much smaller in terms of scale uh, the two Wonder, just like a test of courage, you kind of wonder if the events of this book will really carry over into the future of the High Republic versus just the characters' journeys, which is, you know, completely fine because characters' journeys are very good in this, and I really did like all of the characters. Um, Silas is obviously a standout. He is the lead, but I hesitate to say he's really the main protagonist because he is of an ensemble and i was surprised by that i thought it was going to be more focused on him because most young young adult books are usually focused on one or two people this is definitely an ensemble cast and he's he is the lead but not by much um and the other character i found to really stand out was master komek he's a jedi master who has experienced a lot of dramatic things in his journey as a jedi and he's constantly questioning the order questioning how they deal with trauma and how they deal with loss and and what jedi should be allowed to feel i thought that was really interesting especially coming from a character that was so high up in the ranks of the jedi and we haven't really seen that in other high republic books we saw emery go to the dark side for a little while in the test of courage but we haven't really seen adult jedi questioning the order like this so I thought he was one of the most interesting characters, and I'm really interested to see where his relationship with Wreath goes in the future. Totally agree on that point. Um, those flashback scenes that she put in, um, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but she does this in every single one of her uh, adapted character stories, right? Like, she does this in Master Apprentice with Qui-Gon and his background. Um, does she do it in Bloodlines, too? I don't think she does. I can't um, remember. I don't remember if it's in Bloodlines or in Leia. Yeah. Um, but I know at least in her last two Star Wars novels, she's been doing this. This and uh, Master Apprentice. And 
you see Comac's origin, and obviously you see uh, his fellow at that time Padawan, but also now like Jedi Knight Orla Journey, who visually, if you've seen the artwork for her, is really cool. She's kind of got like the dark ray, Darth Ray uh, double sided saber that opens up. Um, but obviously she's a Jedi and she has white blades, which is again always cool, especially after seeing them with Ahsoka. Um, and their backstory, I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily anything too crazy from what we've seen in other Star Wars stories. I feel like we've definitely seen things that have been way more chaotic, way more disturbing, but we haven't necessarily seen characters carry that weight, carry that burden of loss and struggle. Um, I mean, almost in, instantly, like, Comex, I don't want to say his personality changes, but all these doubts that he's probably had, like, hidden away or maybe never even considered uh, as more than just, like, a quirk of his suddenly just overwhelms him from that moment on. And then he's forced to continue and carry on. Uh on their on their mission even though they were just shot down and he lost his master right like and then seeing how uh orla's master reacts like yeah she, master is also doing the right thing and like you know guiding the two padawans still trying to do their mission but you know she also has like doubts about like her master and strange because now i've never seen like two jedi who felt a lot of issues with the Jedi Order carry that for so long and then to still be sympathetic to each other now in the current time and even more attuned to those feelings, which I would think would go away with time, but neither of those characters have really done anything to improve that situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, great characters from there and they definitely round out like a very strong ensemble. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess you can say there's Dez as like the Jedi that, unfortunately, like the least interesting. Um, and that's not to say he isn't a decent character. He really serves the purpose of the story well and uh, has some pretty interesting things happen to him and twists and stuff. But you know, he out of the three Jedi that we follow, four, sorry, he is the one that's like, eh, like, all right, doesn't, it seems more like he's just in it for pushing the plot forward. Um, and we've seen, and we've seen other uh, Padawans with their masters, former Padawan, like their relationship. Um, obviously, we've seen Qui-Gon with, uh, what's his name again? Uh, Count Dooku's first Padawan. Uh... Totally blanking. Yeah. I can't okay. remember either. Rail um, Avros. Rail Avros. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Rail. Um, but, you know, after seeing his dynamic with Dooku and um, his dynamic with Qui-Gon, uh, Dez's dynamic with Reith is kind of underwhelming. Um, but... Again, I also haven't finished the whole book, so maybe Liam knows a bit more. But, uh, yeah, it is an ensemble cast, which 
is new for her, but maybe maybe that's why I don't feel like it's as deep or rich with its character um, digs, I guess, personality or thought process digs that she kind of does. But I don't know. I still think it's because maybe uh, she does better with adapted characters than she does with original characters. It's funny you mentioned Rael Averroth because when Dez was introduced, that's exactly character I was thinking of and I was thinking okay we're gonna get the same type of relationship where Wreath is he's a hesitant Jedi he doesn't want to go out and be adventurous he just wants to stay in the archives and study and he wants to learn he likes to observe and and make notes he doesn't want to participate versus Des who is the one who's been volunteering to go to the frontier who's the exciting well-respected warrior and I was thinking, okay, here we go. We're going to kind of repeat the same plot line. And that doesn't really happen. And I I would kind of agree that, yes, Des is kind of the least interesting of the four Jedi. He disappears for a large portion of this book. Um, and so he kind of, he gets left on the wayside. And, and but he does, he does have an arc. He changes by the end. Um, if you haven't noticed already we're talking spoilers in this book so he takes the bearish vow at the end of the book uh which is where he he'll go off and just commit himself to studying the force like a monk basically for the rest of his life he won't be going on these adventures so um he does have a bit of an arc where he kind of he changes completely from the type of character that he was at the beginning Still, yes, it was the most underwhelming of the arcs because he's the character you get to spend least time with of the three Jedi. That's at the end of the book, too. Master Comac is paired with Wreath to be his master. I think that's going to be a really interesting pairing moving forward because Comac is the Jedi master who's questioning the order versus the Padawan who is so engrossed in it and is so committed and fully believes in everything they're doing. He has some doubts that as he goes through this journey, but never doubts the order. He more doubts himself and the way he should handle situations. I think it's going to be more of a, a Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan relationship that they're setting up here. Someone who's more headstrong or willing to think for himself or believe his own ideas versus an, another character who wants to follow the rules and follow exactly what he thinks a Jedi is supposed to do versus what he personally thinks is right. But that that is uh, the majority of our main Jedi. Yeah, in this book. They're all they're all very good characters in their own right. I'm not sure if we're going to see Orla again. She does leave at the end to become a wayfinder, and she talks about it throughout most of the book. She wants to become a wayfinder instead of committing herself to the order. Uh, but we do have three other main characters who are part of the Bind Guild. Um, and the the lead of that group is Affy Hollow. I would say, just as Leith, uh, Reef is the lead of the Jedi group, Affy is the lead of the Iron Guild group. It, uh, she's kind of your typical young adult character. Uh, she's I think she's seventeen. She's discovering new things about who she's working for, and. May, they might not be as good of people as she thought they were going to be. And so she has kind of this journey of discovery. Um, personally, I found her to be a good, nice character, but not really 
somebody I cared if we followed it ever again. She's, you know, she, she doesn't have too much of an arc. Her arc is kind of, she didn't, she believed wholeheartedly in what she was doing before and who she was working for. And then by the end, she is willing to give up on that because of her morals and her convictions and to do what's right. Um, so it's kind of a traditional Star Wars journey of learning, right, doing right and wrong versus um, doing what's beneficial to yourself. But her relationship with the other two and guild characters is really what makes her um, such a fun character. Leox, Jossie, as we said, is like Matthew McConaughey in space. He's he's a fun, hippie kind of character, the captain of the ship. And then one of the standout characters of the whole book is Geode. He's this giant rock guy who's the navigator on the vessel. He never says anything, but he, he's described as a partier and he's described as compassionate and he uh, claudia de gray does some of her funniest writing in, that she's ever done in star wars when she talks about a character looking over at geode and geode gives him a, a disapproving look or something like that um or geode silence confirms their their worst fears she'll, she'll have sentences like that that genuinely made me laugh yeah yeah i mean <laughs> uh just adding on to what you're saying um yeah, Afi, her her arc is solid, but you know it's more of like the classic young adult story, like you mentioned, Liam, like learning about things that change your whole viewpoint and how do you adapt to that? What does that make you into? Like, what is that process of growing up and becoming an adult kind of like? Um, but as you know, we spent a lot of time with her. It's it's not like I don't like her character. It's just that the other two in the dynamic are leagues above her, unfortunately, for her. Um, for us, that's great, because Leox, Kiasi, I mean, he's 90s Matthew McConaughey, just ripped off screen, put onto print. Um, if any of you have seen Dazed and Confused, it is quite literally his character in that film. Just imagine this guy saying, all right, all right, all right. Like, this man goes, he's a, he's, he's a character. He's fun. Um, he enjoys a spice stick, which is, you know, equivalent for some things that people like to partake in. Um, Not quite as bad as a death stick, though. No, it's no death stick. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone would be telling him, to reconsider his whole life but um you know he's he's got a he's got a he's got a charm to him like he like you know uh another thing we should really mention is that the bind guild also one of their ships is the legacy run um and that's the ship that kind of sets off all the stuff that happens with the emergences and everything in light of the jedi um and the one thing about the buying guild is like they keep everything in order like all the ships are in tip top even if they're not even necessarily like the best vessels for their time you know they can run way longer because of the maintenance that they do and their crew is orderly like afi is very orderly like she's got a clean uniform on um she might have a bit of a character to her but she is still capable of running a very nice ship and Leox is just shirtless Matthew McConaughey with like multicolored beads and everything. And 
he refuses to button up his shirt and his reasoning is pure Matthew McConaughey. Like there's just different things about his character. Like he's like, you know what? I don't enjoy sex because I think of myself as the fulfillment of my lineage of all the ancestors that have come before me. And now I am the final piece until my sister starts having kids. And then, you know, we continue this process. Um, yeah. I mean, and then he's like, he has an explanation for why he doesn't button up his shirt. And it's just like, okay, only Matthew McConaughey would get away with something like that. Um, but I'd say as great as he is, Geode, man. Geode is the star character of this trio. I mean, Liam, you described him as a rock man, but he's not even a rock man. He's He's just a rock. I don't think there's any description of like eyeline or mouths or hands or anything. It's just a rock, right? Like there's a scene where Affy, after um, you know, finding out more about uh just the bind guild as she's like in this process of like figure out like the harsh realities of the business that she's a part of, you know, she doesn't wanna talk to Leox about it, but then you know, she cries on, you know, the kind and loving surface, I guess, of Geode. <laughs> Again, very, like you said, very funny, very funny dialogue. Even if some of it is unintentional because uh, so it's so strange. And this guy apparently is like the biggest partier, right? Like you could see him on a club every night and then he's back to business doing the best navigation out there. Um, I particularly like that there's a, like a little mini story where Leox is like recounting how they last time that they moved like these statues right was for like when these creatures on this planet were kind of controlled by this Rodian client of theirs and then they started like doing all these inscriptions on walls of Geode and Leox as like their gods and stuff and <laughs> I mean it's just such a strange like hilarious story but it's just like yeah yeah, the more you read about these characters, the more you're like, okay, this is totally in line with something I could see happening to them. They're, they don't have the force, but man, they have the craziest adventures. Yeah, I absolutely want to see the Leox and Geode adventure stories, like in the vein of the old Han Solo adventures and Land of Calrissian adventures, like that type of thing. Or even like these are the High Republic Han and Chewie. Like that, that is hilarious. Geode. Claudia Gray, honestly, like she she kills it in some in some of this book. Like it's so funny. She does such a great job using Geode. But initially, when when they introduced Geode, I was kind of rolling my eyes. I thought, oh, okay, this doesn't feel like Star Wars. And then you know they it it was very funny. Um, the last thing I want to bring up with Into the Dark before we move on to the comics is one of the main uh, villain groups, which, as Sonic said, uh, the Nile are early in this book and really uh one of our main villain groups is the Drengear in the book and they are these ant-like creatures that are almost that, that are kind of imbued with the dark side but it doesn't don't give any indication that they can actually use the force or anything they're just very in tuned with the dark side and i thought that was kind of a fascinating a fascinating villain for Star Wars. Like we've never really seen anything like that. I I couldn't really picture them in my head. I was trying to picture are they are they more like a swamp thing where they're 
more man looking, but they're made of plant and they can morph because they're they're pretty much unkillable. They cut them in half, they regrow back together and and they kind of this ancient species that wants to take over the galaxy and they're gonna use the Amaxine station to do it. And I thought they were kind of a fascinating villain. I'm not sure if they're ever gonna come back or if they're just going to be referenced and then maybe in some type of old Republic stuff, we'll get reference to them, or maybe two, 300 years prior to High Republic, we'll get some type of story for them. But they, uh, they were a really fascinating villain. Totally agree. Um, I also want to mention that, as you were saying, the Nile are very minimal in this story, but they're minimal as we have been introduced to them uh, i would say that when we retest the courage you know we just got goons that's how their character is it's like two goons that are here to make a cause a scene make a mess uh clean up duty essentially flight of the jedi obviously machin row and all those things that we see from the legacy run falling apart and all that like they're villainous, but, you know, they're different. They're varied. Some of them are crazy into, like, the equivalent of, like, heavy metal for Star Wars. Some of them are very orderly. Some are very rich. Like, and just, like, the whole class structure is very, like, very strange as compo compared to other things that we've seen in Star Wars. But two of the characters that we follow in this book are Nan. Is it Nan or Nan? Or, and, uh... Is it Huey or I want I want to say it's Huey. Uh, I think it's Haig. I don't Haig. know how to say if you say Nan or Nan. I don't know. What yeah. Say. So I'm gonna go with Nan and Hog, oh, right? And like these two characters, you think it's like this old uh, character who's just uh, kind of like caring for this young woman who's very petite and small. Um, and when I was reading it, I was like, okay, like, there's just some random group stuck out here that they have to all come at this Amaxian space station, which, again, uh, as a side note, that was first, we've actually seen this before. If you read the Kylo Ren mini comic series, um, it's featured in there. It's where Snoke stays when he first meets uh, Ben. Um, but in the High Republic era, um, you know, we have Nan and... Uh, hog right as all these other ships including the jedis are forced to come to the station um you're thinking okay like are these are just two people who need help right incapable of hurting anyone but as it's revealed they're nile which is very interesting because i don't think we've ever seen nile kind of be so secretive we've seen in test of courage that the Characters kind of remove all their piercings and everything and try to blend in, but you know, the cynical part of me was like, I just don't want them to be bad people, right? There's like a lot of uh, like no hints of like how the older Jedi are like, oh, Reed's being a little too friendly with Nan, like it might look like he's flirting back, and he's the dude does not pick up on his own behavior, which again falls in line with Jedi being so disconnected with other people in the galaxy emotionally. But then to finally hear that they're the Nile, and again, I, I don't know how the story ends, but to hear that they're the Nile, it just 
it's like uh, I felt bad. I was like, I wanted some sort of idealistic, like, oh, the Jedi really helped someone and they'll reunite one day. But nope, they're reuniting because she's a villain and he's a villain, and they're probably very, uh, <laughs> very much capable of causing havoc, just like all the other Nile that we've seen. Yeah, they were an interesting group, especially because they are lower level in the Nile hierarchy. Really, the only Nile we've gotten to see and gotten to know are are the Tempest Runners and Marcian Rowe as the eye. So it was interesting to see how they interact and how they will try to blend into their surroundings in order to gain an advantage on their enemies. Um, yeah, overall, final thoughts on this book. I would highly recommend it, especially if you want to get into the High Republic. I think the nice thing about the three High Republic books so far it's they all give you a very different side of the High Republic because we can't really think of it as this one very specific type of event. It's it's a huge galaxy, and we're talking about the frontier and the Wild West of of the Jedi and the Republic uh, going to the Outer Rim and establishing. And it's a part of their and, and really expanding at the time. So it is very justifiable to give three broad different stories that all are brought on by the same disaster so i would say i highly recommend this one i think light of the jedi is my favorite of the three this would be my second then a test of courage is third which really isn't a knock on test of courage because both it is a really really good um or junior novel they call it um it's a very good junior novel it's a quick read if you're just looking to dip your foot into the world that's a good one but i would say this is is a better book and it's Claudia Gray, so it's going to be worth your time regardless. Yep, just adding on to that. Uh, really love what I've read so far of Into the Dark. I am almost done with it, but not quite there. So I can't give like a total final statement on it. I will say that I like it just a bit more than Light of the Jedi for myself. But that's also because I really like interconnected stories. And Light of the Jedi is really grand, but that grandness also does mean that the scale of the story is kind of separated out into different groups. And that's not a knock on the story. It works really well to set up the whole galaxy at the time, the Jedi, the whole disaster, the great disaster and all that. I personally just found Into the Dark with all the characters in the same setting all the different factions kind of working for and against each other, all the twists and turns, just the mystery of it. Um, that's what I liked a lot. So that's why I have it currently a little ranked higher. Obviously, I, my thoughts could change once this is over. Um, once I finished my read, but like Liam also said, uh, Test of Courage is still a great book and very important to read. Um, especially because the main character there, Vanessa Rowe, uh, is going to be playing a part in the comics that we're going to discuss right after and a future book. And she herself has also picked up a Padawan just like uh, Rita's now become Padawan to Jedi Master, uh, a comic Avita. So maybe there's some crossover there. Maybe there's some dynamic. but. Um, yeah, uh, I think now's a good time to move over to High Republic 2. Uh, guys, who wants to start here? Yeah, um, I, I had read 1 and 2 uh, 
just today, so my memory's a little fresher. Um, but I mean, like the, the the issues aren't super long, so I feel like there's not too much information to go about. Uh, two starts off with our boys. Um, oh, what was it? Carrot? No, no. Carrot and Tarek. Oh, is that how you guys pronounced it? I, I went with Tarek and Sarah, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> right, I don't know. Works, These too. things are hard. These are Star Wars <laughs> names. Um. Yeah, and um, they are on a quest. I don't exactly remember what they're doing exactly, um, but it follows our characters from issue one, um, Skier and Avar. No, 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 no. Skier and um, oh, what was their name? Uh, Keeve, Keeve Trennis. Yeah, Keeve Trennis. Yeah. Um, and from the previous issue, um, Skier was kind of distraught, um, I guess to, to say really reductively, but he, he seems, he seems like he has, he's, he's hiding something very major because I feel like uh, the end of issue one uh, was was him kind of breaking out into this whole like Darth Vader no type of type of situation <laughs> and the way he they emphasized and exclaimed it, it in text uh, was just very sinister to me um, and throughout the entire issue number two he's kind of very much hiding something um, and I think that is hidden when he's going to that planet with um, Seret, Serot. Uh, but yeah, so I guess I guess uh, the characters are interesting so far. Um, I guess I'm really curious to to what what Skiers Skiers up to. You know, I feel like he's. He's either because I think they described it as like PTSD or something, uh, and they had a little flashback in this issue of something exploding behind him. Um, but yeah, I I guess I feel like that can very easily catalyze something big in the future. So yes, that's what we're working with. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Uh, Skier is the most fascinating character in, in this issue because he obviously has something going on. And it, normally when a Jedi would have such a reaction, you would go, well, there's something happening with him and the dark side or what is going on with that. But if it, if they are just fighting Nile, then yeah, something serious is going on. And it seems, once again, like we have with Into the Dark, um, death of Master Dora Mali is really having effects on a lot of different characters, and Skier seems to be really impacted by that. Uh, but yeah, I think this was a good issue, as most second issues in, in large part comics are. You don't get presented with way more questions than answers, and I'm sure part three will probably have very few answers as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Since, yeah, since this is a six issue arc, I think 
uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it was very and mysterious issue versus the first one, which was more a singular story with a couple loose plot threads. This one really is setting up the entire arc. Yeah, I agree with both points made. Um, I think the flashback is uh, directly from uh, Light of the Jedi. Um, obviously, we've just talked about Into the Dark, so Master Jora, who's Reed's former master, is killed, and she's supposed to be uh, the marshal of Starlight Beacon, um, and Avar Chris becomes the marshal because of her passing, um, and Skier was like her second in command essentially. And when they were flying with their Jedi vectors, uh, I I don't remember exactly what happens, but I think um, during the battle things go really south, and uh, we know Jorah's killed, and I guess Skier loses his arm. Um, I guess with his vector breaking apart or something from the Nile attack. Um, I think it's because they start doing the thing with their engines where it's like not even light speed, light speed skipping, but they're just like randomly jumping around to different points in the battle, uh, in like light speed that they just start crashing and destroying a bunch of ships, including some of their own. Um, and that's where Master Jorah gets got caught and killed. So obviously, Skier, like you guys said, most interesting character because things are going really south for him mentally. And he's a Trandoshan, and Trandoshans aren't known for being Jedis. I think that's mentioned in Light of the Jedi because of their desire to hunt and kill creatures and just general not being good <laughs> aliens. Um, but for him to be a master, right? While that's great for him, it's it's obvious that he's like any other normal person after something so traumatic is suffering. Um, we see him kill Anil on the hut ship that they find, uh, that the wreckage that they explore, and like, and he can't even for some reason his connection with the force is also messed up. Um, I don't know if that's because of the Nile gas, but I don't think that's something that we've seen in in, uh, in Light of the Jedi or Into the Dark or anything, or Test of Courage. Um, but uh, he starts, like, hacking at that Nile. After cutting them in half already, he starts going back for more and more. So some whatever is happening to him, like that trauma or if something else is going on in his mind, he's... he's crazy unstable he's anakin levels of unstable right now um like yeah it's it's and like he was just turned into a jedi knight so the like skier is still her master but like she's also like okay i need a you know he's still i would i can't just because i'm a jedi knight doesn't mean i can step all over him um so she's trying to tell avar this and avar is at first not recognizing any of the signs but then once they revisit the ship later it's like, okay, yeah, things are really messed up. Um, Tarek and Sarah, very interesting twins, kind of creepy. Um, they're like, they have a mind sync, so like, if anything happens to one of them physically, the other one feels it as, as well. Um, so like when, I think it's Tarek or something, like when they are attacked by the Nile, uh, he gets like hit by a bunch of shrapnel and the other twin can feel it. 
and that's how they regroup and that's when they'll find out that Skier just completely mauled that Nile that was left on the ship um, another interesting thing is which is always cool to follow huts being huts and all their messed up stuff uh, they're transporting of type of barley that I guess is what Bacta is derived from and considering this is only 200 years before uh, the Phantom Menace that's that's a pretty big revelation like that Bacta like one of the most important healing components of the whole Star Wars galaxy is a relatively new find I mean in Knights of the Old Republic which is like almost 4,000 years before the Phantom Menace the Selkath are like known for their Bacta right and 4,000 years is a lot more time than 200 years so i'm curious on how they're handling that um when they get split up again i thought it was really well done again the art in this issue is, is just as good as the first it's very colorful really great line work um but i think one of the twins i think it's sarah is on the they go to explore the place where the barley is grown i'm pretty sure he's attacked by a drinker i don't know if it was just me but like the whole tentacle-like thing. Um, he senses something. It's not just a plant, right? And the Drengir are like attuned with the dark side. It seemed to me that it was the Drengir as well. Um, we will see Vernesta Rowe in this comic issue, uh, uh, which is amazing because she literally just had her book out. Um, and we just, and right before this came out, I think like a day before or something, um into the dark comes out so that highlights just how interconnected all the publishing has been so far it's like i've never seen this level of connection before that's a good point i honestly i did not think of it being a drink gear that's a great call um i hope it is because i really want to see what they look like visually but should we move on to the idw issue the star wars adventures no sonic you're the only one that has read this yeah, uh, I won't get too into detail here, but um, a lot of the stuff that is pertinent to this issue is knowing about kind of like the main group. Um, essentially, at this time, uh, Yoda is not sitting on the council. He is still a Jedi Master, and he is still technically on the council, but he has dedicated himself to like kind of being on the frontier, uh, helping out different padawans and their journey he doesn't just have like one or two he's got like a whole batch with him um and his, the the master that he's with is master bora i think um jose daniel older i think was at one point like a paramedic or something and i guess buckets of blood was like this name for this guy who could like do all these crazy transfusions transfusions or something or like some crazy medic who just knew what to do um in any situation where there's like a lot of blood loss so apparently that's now just become the name of this crazy jedi who's like super big um master borrow uh i they're not the main characters in this we just see them but essentially the emergences are still happening and uh two characters that we follow most closely are a girl named zine I think she's of the alien species of the twin sisters at the end of the Clone Wars. The two Jedi Masters where one of them is killed by Tup. I forget the name of the species. Um, I think she, I believe she's part of that species. And then one of the Padawans under Yoda, her name is Lula. 
uh, Tali Sola. And both of them are, you know, they're parallel throughout this issue because neither of them want to like really kind of reveal what they're feeling or what they're hiding. Uh, for Lula, it's that, you know, she's gone through all the uh, training and she's probably one of the best one uh, Padawans out of that group. She just doesn't feel ready for dealing with something like the emergence, right? She wants more training, stuff like that. Um, so we just see like how someone is able to like kind of put that facade of being in control when they're really just like, oh, how am I supposed to handle all of this and somehow still be helping people? And then we follow Zine, who is close friends with this human boy named Crix, but she's been hiding a secret from everyone else in their settlement um, that she's force sensitive. Um, and her family and all these other people have been traveling with this group called the Elders of the Path, which is like a kind of like a religious cult um, that are really wary of the Jedi and the force itself. Like if the force exists someplace, like they're the ones furthest away from it. Like they're doing everything they can to kind of like avoid being in contact with the force. Um, but once emergencies start happening, the Nile land, uh, you know, they try to take ca captive of the elders. Uh, they try to deal with uh, all the different Jedi that are coming their way, uh, that are trying to stand up. Um, es essentially, uh, how, do I, how do I put it, it was delicately? Um, Zine uses the Force to, like, protect... Uh, herself and cricks from all these crazy emergencies that are uh, like all the debris and everything that's coming she's also got this little tiny creature called cham cham that she keeps with her um who's super adorable she's trying to keep them alive um but like get yeah, the jedi are like helping them out trying to get the free the elders away from the nile and as they're as that's happening more things are crashing things are going crazier um and something's about to hit that group and then she uses the force but once she uses the force um it's strange because she's only doing something to help everyone but her friend just suddenly just gets so mad and angry at her and just takes the elders and leaves them and the issue ends with like her and all the jedi padawans surrounded by the nile um and yeah, I mean, not much else. It's a really strong setup, just like High Republic 1 was for that Marvel line. I think IDW's, whoever's doing the line work for it, it's amazing. I, I really love the High Republic look, but High Republic is definitely drawn digitally. This one almost seems like it's maybe done by hand, by pencil and pen. The texture, just the lining, the color grading, everything about it is like the best of old and new. It... It was really engrossing. It's definitely stylized, but it's stylized in a way that all the cool things that we've seen in the books kind of pops out, like the Nile ships emerging from space. Um, the emergencies look way crazier than they're described in the books. The ships look crazy too. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see more of this series as well. So definitely if you're picking up High Republic, uh, the Marvel series, also consider the IDW series. Very cool. Uh, I will look forward to reading that soon. All right, well, let's move on to our other subtopic, which is going to be 
our top five favorite lightsaber duels in Star Wars. And we are going to be including Rebels and Clone Wars in this as well. Pretty much any visual medium Star Wars thing outside of uh, video games. Most fights that happen in the video games you're participating in. So I would like to kick us off with this. I can start us off. Um, so yeah, I I didn't really put any uh, rebels or Clone Wars fights in here, um, not for any reason. <laughs> to, to be honest, it's more just for continuity. Um, but so so I only have the uh, the uh, <clears throat> Skywalker saga uh, in my listing. Um, so I guess I'll just list them out and then talk about them a little bit. Um, so my number five is Luke and Vader on in Return of the Jedi. Um, number four is Palpatine versus the Jedi Masters in Revenge of the Sith. Not I read it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> my number three is Anakin versus Obi Wan um, on in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, number two is Qui Gon and Obi Wan versus Maul. Great fight. And my number one is uh, Rey and Kylo versus the elite pra uh, Praetorian. Um, <clears throat> I guess I have a couple reasons for all of these, but uh, I guess I'll start with the number five. Or do you guys want to list them out and then talk about it? Or should we... Uh... Let's talk. Why don't you uh, talk about your number five and then we'll move. All right, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Rotate until so, we get to our ones. Right, right. So this number five spot... Uh, for me, was very, I guess, like on the fence between um, the was the um, Vader and Luke's first fight versus the second. Um, <clears throat> I think I chose the second one because it had this like raw energy that uh, was kind of missing in the first, only because I enjoyed. Luke's kind of redemption slash like semi fall to the dark side where he was like super unhinged and just beating the shit out of Vader <laughs> or like chopping him down like a like a like a lumberjack and 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 a fresh fresh tree you know it was a uh, I just I just feel like that's like one of the most iconic like lightsaber fight images to me uh of Luke just like slamming down um, lower lower camera frame framing. Um, yeah, so that's why I put it on number five. Yeah, that's a great pick. I that one didn't quite make my list. I'll I'll reveal that. Uh, <laughs> it it was probably my number six if I had a number six. It's an incredible fight and and I just watched Return of the Jedi a couple weeks ago and yeah, it's it's such a strong fight, not only in terms of choreography, but really because of the emotional impact that it has. And after, like you said, uh, Luke's just going full on rage attack on Vader, cuts his hand off, and he sees the mechanical hand. It's a, a great moment. Um, and and Palpatine bring them on. You know, that's always kind of classic. Uh, but for me. 
there's so many. This was such a hard topic. There's so many I wanted to put on there. Like I said, Luke and Vader on the Death Star. Uh, Ray, Finn, and Finn versus Kylo Ren on Starkiller Base was one I really wanted to put on. I, I love that fight. Ahsoka versus Maul in the finale of the final arc in Clone Wars, the Siege of Mandalore. Yoda and Palpatine. And this one I wanted to throw out there too. It's uh, it's a little bit outside of what we're talking about, but because it's not canon. But Anakin versus Asajj Ventress in the 2003 Clone Wars is incredible. I love that fight. Um, but for me, my number five is a Clone Wars fight, and it is Darth Sidious versus Darth Maul and Savage. Um, and and this one, yeah, it doesn't have much meaning story-wise. You know, it's not really a a, a emotional fight it's not really a, a fight it's it's an action fight completely but it is so, it's so cool and i it's one of my favorite moments in the entire show um it's one of my favorite moments in all of star wars and, and when you see palpatine walk in and and maul try to pretend that he's doing this all for sidious and, and sidious throws him and savage against the window and it's like <laughs> it says you've become rivals and Pulls out his two his two lightsabers and all and Savage both turn on there double bladed. Oh my god, it's it's so epic. It's genuinely one of the coolest things in all of Star Wars. And I couldn't leave it off this list, no matter even if it's not maybe as emotionally resonant as most of these other fights are. But this one just is so cool. I go back and watch this one all the time. I mean, hard to disagree, uh, disagree with that statement um for myself personally i would have that as like my six i know it's like a visually probably one of the best duels in all the clone wars before we get season seven um and you know i i i think i'm gonna have to change my list on the spot here my Wow, I can't believe I'm actually going to do this, but I'm going to have to drop down my number four originally down to number six because I'm going to make my number five uh, Ahsoka versus Vader and Star Wars Rebels. Um, I mean, I, I want to mention that my number four originally was Obi-Wan versus Maul and Rebels, and I think it's hard to call that a duel per se because most of the duel is like it's been going on in their minds for the last 20 30 years right there's so much history and everything so to be done in three moves when i first saw it i was like that that's it right but when i rewatch it i'm like oh my god that's it that's it's iconic like mall how they're shifting their feet their tempo just how they're changing their lightsaber stances mall goes for the same uh chin butt that he does with his lightsaber against qui-gon but Obi-Wan's ready for it and slices through them. Just the emotional ending of it all. Uh, I mean, it, ha it was at my number four, but I'm going to drop it down to my number six because I, I totally forgot about a different duel that I need to make great mention of. But I won't say it right away because now my current number five is going to be Ahsoka versus Vader and Rebels. Um, I mean, what, what, I, there's so much that... It's amazing about the season two finale. Um, Vader coming in dramatically on 
standing on his uh, TIE fighter, putting it on like his Tesla autopilot, and having it land just so he can make a scene. Um, you know, everything that Ahsoka has been fearing throughout the whole season. Is this, is this really her master? This dark presence? Um, the fight itself, I mean, we've seen everything on Malachor with the lighting and everything with Maul joining them, uh, you know, Kanan fighting, Ahsoka's lightsabers. It all looks great, but once you see Vader, right, again, as we see in the season two premiere, he's a monster. He's at a different level than everyone. The closest that we have to that is Ahsoka, and that fight is brilliant. It's fast. It's chaotic. There's stop and goes. Um, then you think that Ahsoka's fallen over and she's off the temple. She fell to her death or something, or she's just out for the count. And then she shows up and it's, I don't know, it's crazy. She lets them escape, but then she chops off at uh, Vader's helmet. And then you see for a quick second his eyes and her, uh, what is it? Uh, his Anakin voice come through. And she's like, oh my God. Like, you know, just th th this is all the proof that she needs. That, like, even if she can't believe it, like, or her master would never be this monster, never become someone like this, never would have done any of those things. This is it. And even in that moment, this is the first time we see Anakin, even a glimpse of it. Um, outside of anything to do with his own adventures in the comics and obviously with relationship to Luke in the original movies. So just for that one glimpse and then for him to say and that she's going to stay with him. She won't leave him like she did before. And then he returns back to his like composed Darth Vader self and is like, then you will die. Just uh, And then the fight just continues off of there. Ah. It is such a good fight, and I know Rebels kind of gets a little bit of flack for his art style, but the lighting, the visuals of that fight, just the pacing of it all was brilliant. Yeah, totally. Um, oh my god, uh, I feel like there are just so many. I think that's just this is just a preface to say that like, I think most lightsaber duels in star wars visually are just all very very good uh so i feel like this list doesn't really make any sense but um i guess moving on to number four uh i think my list kind of had like an iconicism value to it so i think that's what i'm basing it off of um but my number four is palpatine versus the jedi masters in revenge of the sith um and <laughs> I just, I just like the iconic image here is uh, Palpatine doing his little uh, twirl, his little spin, little barrel roll um, toward the Jedi Masters. Uh, and I don't know. I think like this whole, this whole scene was so impactful to like the, basically the entire, um, the entirety of like the rest of the original movies and and the sequels um and the outcome of this fight was just so impactful so yeah i guess like i'm putting this there as like a display of how overpowered palpatine is um and his iconic spin uh yeah i'm glad you mentioned the spin <laughs> i i like to call it a corkscrew, corkscrew I love that. 
<laughs> Unlimited power. Oh my god, yeah. That's... Don't forget the don't forget the scream. <laughs> which which if I'm I don't know if this is canon anymore. I remember like a, a book in Legends described it as a scream that threw off the Jedi Masters, so they weren't they were kind of stunned and so he could kill them really quickly. Oh my god. <laughs> that should be one of his skills in Battlefront. <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> Why don't we do that? It was a missed yeah. opportunity. Huge uh, missed opportunity. Totally. I mean, what, what how prequel memes have just taken that format to a different <laughs> level. Thank God. Oh my God. Yeah, that that's one of my favorite fights too. It's it's such a fun one to watch. And, and yeah, I, I get everybody's criticism towards it when they say the Jedi Masters all kind of go out like punks and Mace Windu is just, you know, the only true Jedi there, but but it mainly for the the campiness of of Palpatine in that scene. That's why I like that scene so much. Um, for is Ahsoka versus Vader on Malachor and Rebels. Um, don't have much new to say that Sonic didn't already say. Yeah, it's it's just one of the most emotional fights in all of Star Wars. Um, following Ahsoka's journey through Clone Wars and Rebels is. Really the first big main character we got in the animated Star Wars um, canon shows. And then seeing it at this time, you know, we hadn't seen season seven. And so the last time he knew she saw Anakin was when she left the Order and, and seen her at Vader. And, and really she's trying to ignore suspicions throughout the entire show that that anakin is vader and then and she cuts off that hole in his mask and when he says her name i get goosebumps every single time and her when her eyes just go wide and she cannot believe that all her worst fears are confirmed that that is anakin and um it's both a fight that's very exciting and very emotional i think that's the reason why i would rank it so high and on top of that, too, you've also got Aiden fighting Maul at the same time. And the Inquisitors fighting Ezra and and Kanan as well. And Maul. So there's a lot going on, but if we hone in specifically on Ahsoka and Vader, it's just such a powerful moment. And like I will probably say for every one of these fights, it is like a top Star Wars moment for me. It, it's, it's maybe... My favorite Ahsoka Anakin. It's the perfect Ahsoka Anakin conclusion, like to that that relationship, and the perfect way for her to find out that that's her master. And yeah, it's such a it's such a goosebump inducing scene. Absolutely love it. Again, totally, totally in love with that duel. I also want to mention uh, going back to uh, Jared's number four pick. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably the worst live-action duel out there, even worse than um, the original Obi-Wan and Vader duel in Episode 4. <laughs> <laughs> That's not to say I don't like it. I think it fits the story well enough. Um, what bothers me is that, especially after watching the Clone Wars, right, we know all these Jedi are quite skilled, right? Kit Fisto, cool dude, right? Sassy Tin, uh, like, these dudes just go off in, like, two moves, which is what hurts. So, 
George does not help us by making us feel even more connected and sorry about these people dying. Um, but just so forget true. about that. Um, it's so true, I, though. <laughs> just, yeah. But when it's just down a window and... Uh, what is it called? Uh, down a window and Palpatine... I mean, the fight is decent, but what bums me out is knowing that knowing that the stunt guy was ready on set and George was like, hey, Ian, do you just want to do your stunts? And now, mind you, Ian is in full camp for this whole movie. So forget about his age. Forget about any of all those like detriments that could hold him back in that uh, sword fighting aspect, right? We've all had decent enough Star Wars tools that you can make something pretty cool out of it. But this dude has been in full camp for however long they've been shooting. So he fights like that too, right? His facial reactions just he looks like he's saying no every time. He just, he's just got all these weird expressions. Um, so yeah, like just knowing that there could have been a bit more of a competent fight with a stunt double like they did with Dooku at the beginning of episode three. Again, that's another great lightsaber duo. Uh, it just makes me wish that, hey, <laughs> maybe you should stick with your original plan sometimes. But um, we got plenty of memes out of it, so can't really complain there. Um, what is it called? My number four, I guess moving on, is because I removed Obi-Wan and Maul from Rebels. Uh, my number four is actually... It's, it's tough. Cause I, there's so many things I'm thinking of now that I feel like could also fit in here but i'm gonna have to go with ahsoka versus maul in season seven of uh, the clone wars i mean that just came out less than a year ago um the conclusion of uh, like the third part third part of four of probably the best to arc in that whole series the concluding arc um and then you get ray park as mocap and you get someone else i forget her name i feel so bad for not knowing who did mocap for uh, Ahsoka as well, but like you get a mixture of that live action fighting style right away. The lighting again, the detail on the models, they're all at a different level from season six and season five. As the fight starts off, it's like, yeah, it's not as like whippy or snappy as other fights, but there's weight to it. There's something, something so much more raw about it and powerful that it's just hard to ignore how good it is. Um, and then just the way that they move throughout Mandalore, uh, when they're fighting on the beams, it's like the dance on the beams, um, the weight of knowing that Maul and almost convinced Ahsoka to join him, because Ahsoka is not really thinking as a Jedi, but she is thinking as a rational being. Um, maybe not entirely rational, because Maul is still a bad guy, but um, you know, she's so quick to dismiss anything about Anakin, thinking that it's just another trick. Uh, obviously she disarms him. He's got the cool combination of his original lightsaber and something else. It's not the Malachor lightsaber, which is, I'm assuming, taken from an Inquisitor that he's killed because he's it's got all those same features. Um, so that that, that was also cool. Um, it it just looks visually stunning. And then for it to finish off with Maul stunned and tied up with cables right but before he's stunned like uh it falls to his death he's like let me die don't let me live like he's like he's so into like killing himself because he's like if i can't 
kill Anakin and put a dent in my, my old master's plan, right? Uh, then the universe is going to change as it knows. Like, even he understands, like, the, his master's plan is about to be completed. Like, this is it. Uh, and the only way for him to get anything out of it is to ruin that. Um, yeah, just just hearing just hearing Maul scream and Sam Witwer does such a good job. You don't know what you're doing. We're all doomed. Like he, this is a madman, right? Like so far, he seems so composed, angry, but like composed. But then he's broken there in that he's like, no, no, let me die. Like ah, uh, just seeing. That and then seeing how Order sixty six plays out after that, and yeah, it, it, it's definitely one of my favorite uh, duels. And even though it's one of my more recent ones, I know it. I keep on going back to it on rewatches on YouTube and Disney Plus. So that's my number four. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think like if I were to add uh, one of those, like or any of the Clone War fights to this list, uh, it would have been that one. Um, I think for the sheer purpose of like how how dramatically ir- ironic that whole last sequence was, you know, because like if Darth Maul did get a shot at Anakin, like you know that would change the fate of the entire series possibly. Um, so anyway, but yeah, I, I I love that fight and everything about it. Oh, and um, I, I do want I do want to mention because you just said like Maul getting a chance at Vader. In Rebels, it seems to imply that he has had a fight with Vader and it goes wrong, right? And Ahsoka makes the whole point of saying, like, oh, you're lucky that I'm here and Anakin isn't here. You would have been, like, wiped out, right? So there's a chance we might see one day Anakin or Vader versus Maul, and that's going to be crazy, too. Very true. Speaking of Vader, or pre-Vader, my number three is uh, Anakin versus Obi-Wan um, on Mustafar, right? Yeah. Um, oh my God, this, I think this fight is probably like, I think on on my 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 meme iconicism list, uh, this, is, this probably takes the top, um, but I still have two more. Uh, so yeah, I think there were just, there's, just the way that they they're like doing this dance uh throughout lava and everything uh and the weight that this fight has is just so intense um and i mean not to mention like how they're they're basically showcasing uh you know the clash of two ideologies and and how that's represented in in fight and dance um but also, I guess the premise of my list is like the meme factor. <laughs> uh, Obi Wan, you know his famous line, or the famous scene, I guess. Like, I have the high ground. You know, don't try it. And <laughs> Anakin's like, don't underestimate my power. And then he jumps, and then and Obi Wan cuts off his legs. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm very underplaying this uh, this fight. <laughs> it's just it's just one of the most. It's probably the most iconic lightsaber duel in Star Wars, I, especially to like a layman too. Like if you've never watched Star Wars and you've only consumed like mass media uh, portrayals of Star Wars, like that's probably one of them. 
I couldn't agree more. Um, I love that duel. It's not my number three, so it's it's top two uh, for me. But my number three is Duel of the Fates. I got an Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. Uh, kind of for similar reasons. It's just so iconic. It's such a well-choreographed fight. It's the first time we get to see the Jedi really and the Sith at, at the height of their powers. Um, wise where they're have thrown in the Force, they're jumping from high, high places, falling off of heights and <laughs> and throwing themselves up again. Uh, Obi-Wan demonstrates his mastery of both the low ground and the high ground. Uh, Qui-Gon goes one-on-one with Maul for a long time. And yeah, just Maul's viciousness and his ease with which he fights and so fluid. And then obviously the the thing that really enhances it is the, the name of the track. John Williams score, the, the Duel of the Fates. It's one of the best pieces of music I've ever heard. It's so incredible. It takes you back immediately to that scene. It takes the ending of Phantom um, Menace. It just really does. It's such a great scene. And and yes, it it might be flashy. It still does have that emotional moment in it when all kills Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon's such a standout character in The Phantom Menace and really, really honestly, the best character in The Phantom Menace. But losing him, you know, it, it impacts so much what happens in the rest of the saga and, and Obi-Wan's reaction. Seeing Obi-Wan get a little dark there for a second and it's a, it's a sad moment. So I really enjoy this fight for all those aspects. Yeah. Uh, also, my number three, um, Qui Gon, Obi Wan versus Maul at Deed Palace. I mean, like you said, uh, it's iconic. Jedi and Sith both at the height of their power. I mean, how it starts off, right? The whole entourage is running, and then the doors open, and then you see Maul, and we've seen him with his long lightsaber, and then he takes it out. This is cool, crazy flip, and then extends one, and then he extends the other, and you're like, two lightsabers? Like, oh my goodness, everything has changed, right? But on a more serious level, like, the fight is so well done, right? The angles that it's shot from, you can really tell, like, these guys are everything. Like, there's force kicks, right? Maul throws in something, like a broken brick or something, and opens a panel by throwing at it, at it like... Um, just the visual design of like the plasma going through the generators um, and like they're moving up and down through the platforms, right? Obi-Wan gets knocked off and then tries coming back. Um, Qui-Gon tries to handle it himself, right? Uh, the whole score, obviously, Duel of the Fates is so good. Um, especially like when the... Like when they're just singing, right? Like... That, I don't know, that just gets, that hits me someplace. I just, I can't explain, right? Like, orchestral music in general from John Williams is iconic. But when you hear the voices added to it, it's just, oh, it's something else. Um, I think my favorite part of the whole duel, honestly, is they're all trapped in between the lasers, like the laser walls. Um, I, I forget what they're exactly they're called. Ray shields. Yeah. Um, and you see Maul just like 
pacing around relentlessly. Obi-Wan has jet cu- just caught up to them, and he's part of it, right? And he's, like, getting ready for the time activation to be over. Uh, like, you see him already, like, get into the stance. And then Qui-Gon's just there, like, smiling, meditating. Like, and you're like, oh, man, like, this dude, he's got it, right? He's the calm Jedi. He's like, this is winning time. He's going to pull it off. And then, you know, Obi-Wan can't reach his master enough. He's in time. He's got to watch him. Qui-Gon does his best, but he's tired. That, you know, the, the little chin butt that he does. And, yeah, I mean, it, Qui-Gon dies. And then you just see Obi-Wan reach a different level. He's, like, ready. He's faster. He's hitting him. He's spinning. He's jumping. He breaks the lightsaber in half. And then he still gets... His cockiness gets him in trouble. And then he flips up, pulls his master's sword, and he technically has a high ground when he kills Maul. Um, just for the briefest second. I'm assuming the one inch where he cuts him um, above the ground <laughs> before he fully lands. Um, and, I mean... Obviously, now we think of Maul as a very different character, but that was it for Maul, too, right? This big demonic evil, right? After saving this Judeo-Christian Jesus figure, right, uh, who isn't born to a father, but just born uh, immaculately, right? Like, to kill the devil, right? That First of all, Obi-Wan is Jesus in meme culture, so... He killed the devil right there. That's that's already a double already. But um, yeah, I mean, every stage and level of the fight is amazing. And if you haven't seen it already, watch the first season of The Mandalorian Gallery. Um, there's one episode where uh, Dave Filoni just talks about this fight. And for most people, it just looks like a crazy cool fight. And it is. But there's so much weight because, like Liam said, this changes the fate of the galaxy. For decades and decades and decades. So, yeah, great fight. Um, yeah, I mean, my number two is that. <laughs> I feel like I can't really add more to that. Um, yes, yes, I agree with everything you said. And uh, I have nothing more to add. <laughs> That's that's fair. Yeah, I think if Filoni broke that fight down better than almost anybody I've ever heard and, and uh, shows you why he is number two in, in Star Wars creation behind George Lucas. He, he gets it. And he worked with George and he, he's worked with George longer than pretty much anybody has ever worked with George because of length of that show. So, um, yeah, I I love that fight go on about it for forever um my number two is luke versus vader on cloud city uh that that fight i mean talk about yeah production design and and staging and and the frame and oh my god it's one of the most visually immaculate fights there is it's not it's not super well choreographed but it's a huge step up from obi-wan versus vader in episode four terms of choreography even had a stuntman i believe stand in for vader so it is exciting uh one of the most iconic shots in movie history is when vader ignites his lightsaber after luke had already ignited his and it's that 
long shot of them with the orange and blue background of the carbonite freezing chamber. It's just amazing. And and all the layers to it where there's an initial fight where Luke kind of gets beaten and then Vader demonstrates his mastery of the force on Luke and just absolutely destroys him. And and then my favorite part, obviously, the the third piece of the fight where Luke is walking down that little corridor and Vader just jumps out of nowhere and swings at him and, and it's it's terrified. It's the real horror image of Darth Vader and he's just charging full strength and just knocks Luke down and Luke somehow gets up and as soon as Luke uh, hits Vader once, Vader's like, enough of this, disarms Luke. And then we get the I Am Your Father, which is probably the most iconic Star Wars moment ever. It's the greatest plot twist of all time. It's the plot twist everyone knows that nobody thinks is actually a plot twist because it was it's so well known. Um, yeah, this is the most probably important fight in Star Wars story-wise. Uh, story it's an emotional fight. It's a thrilling fight, and it has a bunch of different stages to it where you get to see lightsaber action and force action. Yeah, it's the best fight in the original trilogy, so that's what I have to say about that. I mean, I got a lot more to say about that, but it is not... Uh... My number two is top two, and it's not number two. Because um, my number two is Obi-Wan versus Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. And, uh, I mean, like you guys mentioned, this is like one of those fights that you mentioned. It's iconic. Like, if you want to show to any fan of Star Wars, um, this is it, right? This, this is the one that you want to always kind of come back to. Um to just any average regular moviegoer, this is probably one of the most fun fights. I mean, visually, you're on a lava planet, right? It's, they're on a platform that's breaking up. They're swinging around. Even if that is a little too much at times, right? When they're swinging their lightsabers around, it's like it just represents how much, uh, how, how much they're in tune with each other. They've trained Master and Apprentice for a year, over a decade, right? They've fought side by side. They are two of the biggest reasons why the Republic took over the Separatists right, by the end of the war, why they were in the position that they were before everything collapses in Revenge of the Sith, according to Palpatine's plan. Um, and it's two brothers, right? It's two brothers fighting each other. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, you don't want it to be this way, but this is the battle of the heroes, right? This is probably the second most emotional score behind duel of the fates um yeah i saw a vine a few weeks back where i know a lot of people make fun of them when they're swinging their lightsabers back and forth um and they don't hit each other but apparently that's like a very common thing that happens and uh i don't know if it was fencing or sword play but if you train with someone so well you'd say you're predicting each other's moves and that's why at some point you start like paralleling each other and making no contact um, obviously it does look a bit silly, but it, I don't think they just threw that in because it was silly. I think it's because these two are so in tune with how each other fights that that's why they can't make contact. Um, there's a whole scene where they're punching and kicking each other, right? Like that's, that's more brutal than most Star Wars fights. Like the, just be that messed up the choking that Anakin does with his arm and then trying to bring the lightsaber down. Yeah. Uh, 
different level, a really a different level. And then you, as you see Anakin go further and further and more frustrated, obviously he starts to get more overwhelmed by the fact that he can't beat his master. And then he makes the, the silly mistakes, he talks about the war, how the Jedi are evil and all that. Um, I mean, uh, once he gets chopped down, you see Ewan McGregor's best, and I mean best, dialogue that he's ever said as Obi-Wan. You were my brother, Anakin. Uh, it was said that you destroyed the Sith, not join them. <laughs> not uh, bring together, not leave it as in darkness. Like, all those lines, like, each and every single one of them are great on their own, but together, what a great, painful end. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's my number two. Yeah, I guess, speaking of... of um like just raw fighting. I don't know if it's raw. It's very, this one's very choreographed, but my number one, my number one spot is uh, Ray and Kylo versus the elite Praetorian guard. Um, in uh, in the last Jedi. And, um, I guess this is a very subjective point, but I just really enjoyed like the entire composition of this, 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 uh, scene. Um, you know, from from the score to the editing to how well um, all of this reinforms all the conflict that we're feeling in Kylo, uh, or maybe maybe Ben. You know, um, I just feel like it's it was one of the most enjoyable fights to me in like all of Star Wars. I, I guess like. Uh, I guess just just like like the sheer uh, entertainment factor of it too. Um, I can't really speak much on like their fighting styles or anything, uh, but I feel like the editing really goes a long way with uh, with like Kylo's conflict to saving Rey and to kind of being self sacrificial in this sense. Uh, you know, obviously, like, right after, it's like, oh, he wants to be uh, the supreme leader or whatever. And and he wants to kind of, like, overthrow this, this current system. But I feel like it's kind of the catalyst to, uh, to his, his bigger development in uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, or I guess, you know, it, it's really developed throughout. But uh, yeah, and and the fight choreography in this scene is just is amazing. I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. Um, the colors, uh, you know, I could go on uh, just <laughs> listing just listing particular aspects about the scene. But um, yeah, just the way that Kylo and Rey are dancing with the the Praetorian guards. Uh, like really, really resonated and stuck with me. So I, that's why I put it as my number one. I completely understand that, uh, the reasoning behind that. I think it's an awesome fight too. Super well choreographed. And like, like you said, the editing in that sequence is phenomenal. Um, especially the initial onset of the fight when right after they killed Snoke and, and they team up and go back to back and, and uh the way that's shot and then edit from that to the holdo maneuver to the the um 
first order firing on the resistance transports. That whole sequence is so intense. It's it is one of the best moments in being saga really, but the sequels especially. It's it's a great moment. Uh, for me, my number one, we've already talked about it. For a prequel kid, there's no other choice rather than Obi-Wan versus Anakin slash Darth Vader. Uh, the Battle of the Heroes It is the defining moment of my childhood. <laughs> I know every line you know, before it happens with Anakin and Padme and, and Obi-Wan and... and I learned that the Sith don't deal in absolutes. I, I learned so much uh, from this scene when I watch it probably twice a month. And it, it's just, it's a, so epic. It's the duel. It's its the one we were waiting for when we got the prequels. It's If you start watching the prequels and you've already seen the original trilogy, this is what you're waiting for. It's how Anakin gets put in the suit. It's how, or what happens between him and Obi-Wan. It's the conclusion of their adventure or so we thought until we get the uh the obi-wan show but yeah uh hayden christensen he, he does a great job in the scene i don't care what anybody says i love it his acting uh it can be over the top at times sure but uh, he nails some of his lines in this scene and he's just pure on filled anger bursting at the seams and and obi-wan is trying so hard to not hurt him to to get him to come back and then when he says you are lost then that initially results in the high ground which anakin should have known you know if he's trained with the guy for so long maybe it was a secret that obi-wan kept from him just so he didn't you know the, the teacher can't give the student all his moves you know he has to uh save some for himself but the high ground technique obviously it, it turns anakin into the vader the suit wearing vader we knew um from the original trilogy and i love the the aesthetics of the lava and also the fact that ben mcgregor and hayden christensen you know they committed to it they committed they all the stunts they learned all this stuff um they they got the fighting choreography down i mean watching the prequels have the best behind the scenes featurettes out of any movie ever all three of them have such incredible behind the scene featurettes and documentaries watching some of those and seeing them train I mean, I I know all the moves to this. As a kid, I I learned <laughs> every move to this fight, and and Obi Wan was my guy. So seeing him come out on top, obviously, was very exciting. Um, yeah, the emotion behind it too. Uh, you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you, and then Anakin follows that up with "I hate you." It's uh, and then seeing Anakin catch on fire, and Obi Wan can't watch it. He's he has to look away, but then he grabs the lightsaber and. It's, it's it like as is it the best story moment ever in Star Wars? Maybe not. Would it be my favorite Star Wars moment ever? Quite possibly. Um, but to me, it's it's got it all. It's got the heart at the end of the fight. It's the climax of Star Wars. If you're taking the original six movies and you're looking at it as one big arc, this is, that's the climax. The Battle of Heroes is the climax. It's the official. Complete transformation of Anakin to Vader. It's everything you wait for when you're when you're watching Star Wars, and, and the choreography and the action are just the icing on the cake. It, it's phenomenal, and Ewan McGregor, yeah, he steals the entire thing, and, and Hayden Christensen, 
his physicality is unmatched. It really is. I I don't know. There's nothing. There's nothing bad I could say about it. I don't. I don't care about any of the goofiness. It's it's amazing. Well said. Well said. Um, I will say, <laughs> I felt a little bit of a jab there about the prequel kid thing, <laughs> since I am also a prequel kid, as long along with Jared. But I put that as my number two because my number one is Annie, uh, Vader versus uh, Luke on Cloud City in episode five. Um, yeah, I mean, the choreography is not anything special physically. It's really just Vader playing around with Luke, uh, you know, kind of testing him, pulling at him, pushing him. Um, Luke resists for the most part, right, in a way that he doesn't resist in Return of the Jedi. Um, well, it also helps that he doesn't think of Vader as his father, which has to have added so much conflict to him, which, it, yeah, it did. Um, I mean, Vader's dramatic in this fight, right? He acts like he's just playing around with his keys, like, oh, most impressive when, like, Luke jumps up and escapes from the carbonite freezing. Um, and then he gets like, kicked off the stage, and you're like, oh, okay, like, you know, Vader didn't really mean for that to happen. Okay. And then Luke is, like, kind of walking around, and then, uh, you know, there's Vader, and he just starts adding in a new element. He's like, yeah, I'm going to attack you with my lightsaber, but let me throw in a few uh, force tricks out here, like throw some debris at you and all that. And then Luke just gets battered there, and then he's sucked out of the window. And Vader just holds on, and he's like, yeah, I'm good. And then Luke somehow barely survives that, climbs back up, and then goes back inside. You don't see Vader again. And then he just strikes, which means that the dude whose breathing goes on and off and on and off held his breath so dramatically for like two minutes on a machine that probably needs to keep him alive. And all just so he can attack his son <laughs> and get the jump on him. It's just, yeah. And once he goes there, he becomes the animal, right? He's just attacking him. He's in this enclosed space, just like in episode three, where him and Obi-Wan are breaking apart that whole triangular hallway. Here, he's just attacking and overwhelming Luke. It's like, it's like a bear mauling a human. Um, I can just hear the sound. Dun, da, 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 da. It's like how, how like the lightsaber makes all these unique different sounds that we haven't heard before. Um, and he forces Luke away, and Luke keeps on fighting. He just like... Don't be foolish. Don't resist, right? But he keeps on going, and then uh, he gets cut a little bit by Luke again on the shoulder plate, and he's just like, screw it, and he just gets a little twirly action out there, and then bam, chops off the arm, and you know, goes monologuing like any good villain does, and then he drops the biggest bomb, I am your father, right? Like, uh, I mean, it, it's huge. It, it ruins that kid. It ruins Luke, like, for him to still believe in his father, all right, and believe in Anakin Skywalker in episode six, as messed up as he is, as critical as I am about episode six, one thing I will give is like Luke is still believing in his father, and that's why Anakin is saved. But at the end of episode five, right, like, ooh, Vader's got him pinned down, and then just Luke jumps away, and that wasn't an option, right? Surrender or join his father. Nope, he goes to his death. Right, it's it's dramatic. It's it's on a floating city in the sky. It's in this vacuumous space with 
very little guardrails or anything. It's it's location, sound, dialogue, everything. I think there's a weight to it that I've never seen in any other Star Wars fight. And I think that's why I'll still be the number one for me for a long time. Well said. Um, I don't disagree with anything you said there. It, it all just like has comes down to personal preference and the yeah as you can see we all have very different tastes because we all have a different number one uh but think we're gonna skip the star wars journeys this week and we are going to skip uh the other media we've been consuming most of us have all been you know focused on we've been all just focused on high republic for the most part and um and we wanted to to do this countdown list and so the episode's already going to be a little bit longer than usual so we're going to end it here. So thank you for listening to this week's Star Wars Lads podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it all. Stay tuned. Every Tuesday, new episodes drop. So for that, always plan on it. All your podcast platforms, YouTube, it will be up on Tuesdays. So check it out there. Um, any news, schedule updates, memes, Star Wars content, you want any of that type of stuff, we do that on Instagram. Follow our Instagram at Star Wars Lads podcast. Uh, or just Star Wars Lads, I think. Um, anyway, all our updates are there. Check it out. We're posting constantly. Uh, and then if you would like to see us do anything specifically, if you have an idea that you think would be interesting for us to talk about, send us a DM on Instagram, comment on one of our posts, let us know. Or you can email us, starwarsladspodcast at gmail.com. That is our email. And then also, as I keep saying, Check us out on YouTube. We're on YouTube. All of our episodes will go up same time, same day. On YouTube, usually about 2 or 3 p.m. Uh, every episode is there. You can listen to all of them. Like, comment, subscribe, do all that good stuff. And uh, keep subscribed for the notifications there, too, so you can get an update when our next episode is up. Usually it's about 3 p.m. every Tuesday. So thank you again for listening. Um, please let us know if you have any new ideas and from all of us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.